0: Good morning, North Shore Baptist Church. It is, it is such a blessing and privilege for my family and I to be here. Um, some of you may know this. Some of you may not. But for a short period, from 2018 to 2019, uh, we were members here at North Shore. Uh, our church back in Tennessee sent us up to plant in Sunnyside, Queens. That's probably why you want to say Sunnyside, because Sunnyside was what we were looking at when we first came up here. However, Even though those were our plans, as usual, the Lord had other plans. And by the end of our year here at North Shore, that year where I was interning uh, as a pastoral intern, it was clear the Lord was leading us towards Grace Baptist Church in Sunset Park, Brooklyn. And in a lot of ways, our first year here was very difficult. Some of you know more than others, the trials and the things that we went through. And um, we're so thankful that we got to walk through that time with this church the Lord used North Shore to really encourage us and just just remind us of God's grace and his sovereignty during that first year. And, and and so we're so thankful for that. And because of that, North Shore will always have a special place in our hearts. We love you guys. When we found out this is where we were supposed to preach today, we were, we were stoked. It's like, yes. Um, now, that said, since uh, November of 2019, I, I was called to pastor uh, Grace Baptist Church in Sunset Park, Brooklyn. Um, that church began as a Bible study in 1884, and it constituted as a church in 1886. And the building where we currently still worship, it was built in 1914. So if you're doing the math, the church is 135 years old and the building's 108 years old. Um, so the so Lord's been very kind, right, preserving that, that church and that congregation for so long. And then back in the 80s, 1980s, uh, a small Bible study, a Spanish Bible study began, and that Bible study uh, became a, a service, and so as Pastor Keith already mentioned, that means that I have the privilege of preaching in Spanish first and then in English every Sunday. I preach the same sermon. Um, I just translate in the pulpit. The Lord is very kind. I don't know how I do it. And, and to be honest, if I just start talking in Spanish, just perdóname, perdóname. Because um, I usually preach in Spanish first. So, so this is backwards. And, and I'm not too concerned because I know Ed's bilingual and he's taught you guys Spanish a right. lot. <laughs> He's always talking about his Spanish-speaking skills, so you probably, you probably would understand me anyway. No, but in all seriousness, the members at Grace Baptist, English and Spanish, they send their love. They send their regards. And, and so, yeah, with that said, salutations aside, let's get to the preaching of the word. Our sermon text today comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. And I know we just heard it, but I'd like to read it again, if you'll allow me. Colossians 1, verses 21 through 23. which has been proclaimed, proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Would you pray with me one more time for the preaching of the word? Heavenly fathers, we continue in your presence this morning, Lord. We, we once again give you thanks. Thank you for your son. Thank you for sending Christ to to die for our sins, Lord, and and to reconcile us to you. And thank you, Lord, for the church with whom we can gather and praise your holy name. And Lord, we thank you for your word, which is living and active, and we pray now that you would use it. Lord, would you use your word to edify and encourage and build up your church? And, And Father, I pray, would it be your spirit that goes before me in this time? Lord, I recognize my weakness, I recognize my, my feebleness, my proneness to be nervous and, and, and worry, and, and Lord, I just pray that your strength would be me perfect in my weakness for the good of your people and the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In Adam or in Christ, spiritually dead or spiritually alive, we are one or the other. There isn't a third option. And in the first part of our passage today, Paul, he, he reminded the Colossians of who they were before Christ. They were an Adam. They were spiritually dead. They were alienated or separated from the Lord, hostile in mind, only able to do evil deeds. But before we continue, let's just backtrack for, for one moment, because the passage before this one in verses 15 through 20, that's an amazing, amazing passage. In that passage, we see one of the most beautiful pictures that emphasizes the lordship of Jesus. And we see there that Jesus, he is supreme over all of creation because he is the son of God through whom all things were made. He also reigns supreme over the church because he is the head of the church, meaning that not only does he have all authority over his bride and and directs her and guides her through his word, but, but he is also the one who nourishes her and sustains her. And then at the end of verses 15 through 20, we see a glorious statement of how healing and peace will be brought to all of creation, whether on earth or in heaven, because the Lord has reconciled all things through the blood of the cross, referring to the cross of Christ. And so that picture of reconciliation, it it encompasses all of creation. It's very macro, if we could say it that way. Well, in our passage today, verses 21 through 23, Paul, he, he fleshes out, what this reconciliation looks like on a more individual micro level. Specifically, what does this look like for those believers there in the Colossian church? And really what we go on to see here is, it's just the good news of the gospel. That's what we're really going to see this morning. And, And as many of you already know, the reason the gospel is good news is because there's what? There's bad news. And that is how Paul starts. That's how he transitions here in verse 21. He starts by reminding the Colossians of why they needed to be reconciled. And so that leads us to our first point this morning. There's going to be four. I hope to not take too long. But our first point is this our spiritual status before Christ. Our spiritual status before Christ. When you look at Colossians, Paul speaks to the the new spiritual status of the church, of their identity in Jesus. He, he mentions it multiple times. He refers them to them as saints and faithful brothers in verse 1. He recognizes that they are co-heirs with Jesus and with all the saints in verse 12. They are citizens of the kingdom. And because of their belief in the gospel, they have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in and through Jesus, verse 14. However... In order to explain how this reconciliation that Jesus accomplishes on the cross applies to them individually, he starts by reminding them why they needed reconciliation in the first place. And so what does he do? He reminds them of who they were before Christ. And what do we see there in in verse 21? You who once were alienated, hostile in mind, and doing evil deeds. The Colossians, those believers there, like, anyone else who's outside of Christ. If we are outside of Christ, then what that means is that we are separated from God. That's what it means to be alienated. When two people are alienated from one another, what does that mean? There's no longer relationship. If someone's alienated from a community, then, then that, that's been severed. That relationship is gone. And so when the Colossians were dead in their sins, they didn't have a relationship with the Lord. They were alienated from him. And that doesn't mean that, well, you know, it was neutral. We're we're not close, but it's not like we don't like each other, you know. We live and let live. No. They were alienated from one another. And what else? They were hostile in mind towards the Lord, doing evil deeds. Notice the progression there. First, Paul says that they were hostile towards the Lord with their minds. When you think of hostility, what comes to mind? Aggression, right? That's something that an enemy would do. It's opposition, Hostility usually demonstrates that that person is is not a friend, but a foe. And that's exactly what sin is. All sin is an act of hostility against the Lord. It's an act of rebellion against him. He is the sovereign king who demands obedience and allegiance. However, instead of bowing the knee and obeying him, what do we know to be true? That all have sinned. Not just the Colossians. All have sinned. We all have sinned and rebelled against him. And instead of bowing the knee and honoring the king, what do we do when we sin? We're trying to steal the crown for ourselves. We're rebelling against the one who truly has the right to demand obedience from us. And so before Jesus or outside of Jesus, none of our thoughts gravitated towards wanting to honor and obey the Lord. We we didn't stop and think how I can love God more how can I grow in obedience? No, we didn't think about anything like that. We didn't think about wanting to know him more. Instead, as we see in Romans chapter 1, because of our unrighteousness, we suppressed the truth in our minds, in our hearts. And what did we do? We exchanged it for a lie. So have you ever heard anyone say, well, I think God is like fill in the blank. You heard that before? Or another way we may hear it is, I cannot believe in a God who would do fill in the blank. I can't believe in a God who would send someone to hell. I can't believe in a God who would be upset because someone's doing something just because it makes them happy. So on and so forth. When we hear those words, what it means is that that person has created a God in their own image. They may not know the word, or they, they have heard it and they simply don't like it, but, but either way, They are not trying to discover what God has revealed about himself. They're content. They're content with making up a God in their own image and imagining what they think he is like and then believing that lie. And what it reveals, it reveals a mind that's hostile towards the Lord. And eventually what happens? those, Those thoughts, they progress and they become evil deeds, right? Sinful actions don't come out of the blue. It starts with temptation and then that temptation becomes desire and it gives birth to sin. And, and so what Paul is basically saying here is, listen, you guys who I've already called saints, you who, who I, I know who you are in Jesus, but just remember at one point, that was you. You were hostile in mind. At one point, that was your spiritual condition. That was your spiritual reality. And again, to be clear, this doesn't just apply to the Colossians. Who does this apply to? All of us before the Lord saved us. And anyone whose faith is not in Christ. If you are not trusting in Jesus for your salvation, this is true of you right now. Because of sin, we are all alienated from the Lord. We are separated from God. We we continue in the same ignorance and rebellion that began with Adam in the Garden of Eden. And so no matter how moral or kind or fair or nice we try to be, Isaiah 64, 6 is very clear, right? Even our best acts of kindness and service are like what? Like filthy rags. You guys ever read a newspaper and you get the ink on your fingers? Some of you are like, what's a newspaper? (laughs) What's People still read that? Yes, people still read newspapers. Or, or a pen, right? A pen links ink, uh, leaks ink on your, on your fingers. Or, or another way I like to think about it, too, is you just eat lots of garlic, and so your breath is just real gnarly, right? When you have ink on in your fingers or, or, or your breath is like that, no matter what you touch, what happens? It's tainted. No matter how good you think it is, no matter how true you think your motives are, right? Because of original sin, whatever we touch, whatever we say, it stinks. It's garlic breath. It's tainted with that ink on our fingers, that is the problem that sin causes for all of us. Ever since Adam sinned in the garden, all of mankind. right? We were born with the original sin. We have a sin nature. And so it doesn't matter how hard or, or we try or kind we, we are, when we are dead in our sins and separated from God, every action, every word, every deed, every thought is tainted with that ink of sin. This is why we can't save ourselves. And this is why every religion that promises salvation through obeying these laws or these commands, it's a lie. You just can't. We cannot save ourselves. Obedience to anything, it's not going to save you because we're all born with this sinful nature. We have accrued a debt we cannot pay off. We are spiritually broke. We can't do it. And because of that, we need a savior. We need a savior. That's the bad news. That is our spiritual status before we come to Jesus in faith and repentance, that we are separated from God. We are alienated, dead in our sins. The good news, however, is what? That the Lord sent his own son in order to reconcile sinful men and women back to himself. Jesus, the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, came into creation, took on flesh, laid down his life so that we can be reconciled back to the Lord, as we were just singing. And here... Specifically, I want to touch on that Paul reminds the Colossians that this reconciliation that they were enjoying, it's all of grace. It's by grace. And that's our second point today. Reconciliation with the Lord. It's, it's by grace. It's by grace. Look how, how Paul says to the Colossians there in, in verse 22 that they were reconciled how? Look how he words it. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. It's the Lord who reconciles them. It's the Lord who does this reconciliation. We don't reconcile ourselves. He reconciles. He presents us salvation. It's all of grace. It is a gift that we we, we can't earn and that we cannot deserve. And so those of you who are Christians, right, those of us who are believers, our mind's being changed the fact that we no longer desire to do evil deeds, that, that when we sin, we feel conviction, and we, we know in that moment we can't continue in this. I need to repent. I need to stop. All of that change in us, how has that happened? Why, why is that the case? It's because Jesus has reconciled us by grace with our Father in heaven. He reconciled us. It's not because of our obedience, but his It's not because we are worthy of forgiveness and grace and reconciliation, but because Jesus was worthy. And so again, Jesus, the son of God, he left the glory of the father's presence, came into creation to reconcile all who repent and believe on him. And and this is why Paul mentions that Jesus, he's reconciled the Colossians and every other believer. How? In his body of flesh. It was necessary for him to enter into creation and take on Flesh to become man because who is he reconciling? Sinful men, sinful women, right? Humans. Adam was a man and he was our representative and and, and he sinned. And so God the Son, Jesus Christ, he took on flesh and he became our new representative. And and 1 Corinthians 15, 21, 22 sums it up beautifully. For as by a man came death, speaking of Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Speaking of Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Do you see how he brings life? He brings life through his life, his death, and his resurrection. He lived a life of perfect obedience, and and though without sin, he died for our sins, and he suffered the wrath of God that we deserve for our sins. This is the gospel. This is what we rejoice in. And he did that so that we can die to our sins. And then on the third day, he was raised so that we too can know that one day we will rise and live with him forever. And, and one place this is explained so beautifully, in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, there we read how, how baptism, baptism communicates that by faith, we've died with Jesus. And, and of course, right, not literally, but, but what it means is that we have died to our old ways of living. And then also by faith, We have been raised with Christ. And so that we no longer have to walk in sin. But now, by the power of the Spirit that's in us, we can walk in newness of life. And so our peace, our our reconciliation with the Lord, it is by grace. It's by grace, through faith, in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in our place. And so when we call on Jesus to forgive us and save us, by faith, what that means is that we are united with him. By faith, as we see here in verse 21, we are now in him. I love what we're just saying, right? On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. We stand in him. And this is by faith. It's by grace. And then once in him, notice what he will do. He will present the church holy and blameless and above reproach. It's our next point today. The Lord will present us holy, blameless, and above reproach, which means that our hope and our identity is in Christ. That's what we see next, our hope and identity in Christ. Paul wanted the Colossians to know that, that Jesus will one day present all of his people, all who are in him, to God the Father. That's who he's referring to with the him, right? He's going to present them to the Father. But when he presents believers, when he presents us who are trusting in him, How are we going to be seen? Not as those who are alienated. Not as those who were evil in mind, only able to do evil deeds. Those who were selfish and only cared about themselves. Those who at some point in their lives believed in a God they created in their own image. No, because of our union with Christ, because of your union with Christ, those of you who are trusting in him, it says that the Lord, when he presents you, you will be seen as holy, blameless, above reproach. And, and that language, it should draw our mind back to, to the Old Testament. It's the same language used for sacrifices that were, that were presented in, in the temple, right? They needed to be perfect, without blemish, holy, set apart, strictly for the worship of the Lord, distinct from, from everything else. And that's how the Lord will present us, holy and blameless and above reproach. And so when our faith is in Jesus, we can have the assurance that when he presents us, because we are in him, we will be counted worthy of being in the Lord's presence. Again, not because we are worthy, but because we are in the one who is worthy. We are seen as holy and blameless because Jesus is holy and blameless. We are above reproach because he is above reproach. Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34, we read about the new covenant that God will make with his people. And at the end there, Jeremiah 31, verse 34, we read the following, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. When the Lord forgives us and saves us through the cross of Christ, he promises that he will remember our sin no more. This is why Paul could write to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He is a new Creation. The old things have passed away. Here, all things are made new. How is that possible? That's that's amazing. How how does this work? All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. Second Corinthians five eighteen. And, and then what comes with that? He gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Right now, go and proclaim this good news. Go and share this gospel so that others can know this reconciliation. And so the moment we repent of our sins and place our faith in Christ, we are forgiven and his righteousness is imputed to us. Our sin is counted as being on him. It's placed on his shoulders and immediately we are made into something new. And what is that? We are now alive with Christ. We are his children. We are his beloved, forgiven and treasured in the Lord. And so when we are presented to the Father, we will not be seen as sinners, but as saints. Not guilty, but righteous. And here's what we need to understand. And I know most of you understand this, but I'm going to say it anyway. One day, we will all stand before the Lord. We will stand before God. The word is clear in this, right? We see this in multiple places. Matthew twelve thirty six, Romans fourteen ten through 12. Jesus, he will return to judge the world. And everyone who has ever lived, we will be held accountable. For every word, for every thought, every action, every tweet, every TikTok, Facebook message, you get the idea. Everything. We're going to be held accountable. We will have to give an account for our sin. Again, that is what, that's what—that's—that's the bad news, as we already mentioned, because we are all sinners by nature. We all have ink on our hands and bad breath. The good news if we are resting in Jesus for our salvation, if we are trusting in Christ alone and what he has done for us, his life, death, and his resurrection, if we believe that he suffered the wrath of God that we deserve, he paid the price, then we can be certain that when we stand before the Lord, he steps in as our high priest and our advocate, and he presents us. He will represent you if your faith is in him. And one way we could say it, right, it says if Jesus one day, when we're before the Lord and we're before the Father, he, he comes and he stands next to us and he says, this one is mine. He is in me and I am in him. Yes, he's a sinner. And we're going to say, yeah, yeah, we're sinners. So I don't deserve to even be here. But my faith is in him. He paid the the price that I know I should pay. I'm trusting in him and him alone. And Jesus is right there saying, yes, he is in me, and I in him. In, I in him. His sin was placed on me, and he is clothed in my righteousness. And here's the thing. We aren't just declared this right, just and, and, and holy in that moment. This is a reality that we get to enjoy from the moment we place our faith in Christ. So not only will we be presented as holy and blameless above reproach in that final day, but because of our union with Christ, guess what? We are those things now by faith. Our spiritual reality, our identity changes from the moment we place our faith in Jesus. And that identity, what happens is it it will be confirmed on the final day. But it starts now. And so what this means is that our sin no longer characterizes us. It's no longer what defines us. Instead, what defines us, what characterizes us is what? The righteousness of Christ and our faith in him. Praise the Lord. This is is a wonderful truth. And this is something that we need to preach to ourselves. This is something that we need to remind ourselves of every day. But why? Why is that? Why do we need to remind ourselves of this reality? Why is it important to remember this in our daily lives? Well, because if we're honest with ourselves, and I'll speak for myself, though I dare to say some of you would agree, on most days, we don't feel holy or blameless. That's not how we feel. On most days, we're more aware of what? Of our sin. We're more aware of our failures. We know our hearts. We know our thoughts. We know our motives. More often than not, we're we're struggling with feeling guilty because we're saying to ourselves, man, I wish I could be a better husband I know the Lord's called me to be. I wish I could be a better friend. I wish I would strive harder and not be so selfish to be a better church member, or a better student. We can go on and on and on. And that voice, that, that voice can get loud. Right? What we say to ourselves when we're recognizing our sin, it, it, as David said, is right, just ever before us. That's all we, became, we can become aware of why am I so impatient? Why do I get frustrated in traffic? I know there's going to be traffic, and I still get frustrated in traffic. That, that's me. I know I'm in hit it, I still get frustrated. And, we, and we, that's where we are, right? Day in and day out. And so if we're not careful, if we only dwell on our sin and our shortcomings, and, and again, if we're not careful, because this is where the enemy loves to step in and try to gain a foothold, we can begin to doubt our new spiritual status. We can begin to doubt and question what Christ has done for us and what he has accomplished for us. And we should not. We shouldn't. We need to understand that the Bible teaches these two truths at the same time. The moment we repent of our sin and we trust in Jesus to save us, we receive the Holy Spirit. We are sealed with the Spirit. We are made alive with Christ. The old passes away and we are made new. In in Ephesians chapter 2, we read that when we come to faith, we immediately go from spiritual death to spiritual life. And and then what does Paul go on to say there in Ephesians 2? Ephesians 2 verse 6. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What an amazing statement. We, We are in Jesus in the heavenly places. That's how the Father sees us. So, so right now, we're here in North Shore Baptist Church. I'm sweating. I don't know if you are, <laughs> right? And yet, spiritually speaking, where does the Lord see us? Where are we? Because of our faith in Christ, because of our reconciliation in and through him, it's as if we are already in the heavenly places with our Savior. That, that is our spiritual reality. That is, is who we are. That's what we need to remember. Maybe you sinned on the way to church today. Maybe you lost your patience in traffic on the way here because you couldn't find a parking spot. Again, I might be projecting, right? Maybe you're tired and weary. That doesn't change the fact that if you're resting in Christ, the Lord already sees you in him in the heavenly places. If your faith is in Jesus, you're in him, and that's where he is, which means that's where we are by faith. And yet at the same time, right, the other truth that that Scripture teaches is that even though that is our spiritual reality, we are what? We are still works in progress. We're still works in progress. We're still being sanctified. We still sin. We still mess up. We still get angry. We lose our patience. We don't share the ice cream or the candy. My wife stepped out, so I can say that. Right? We're, we're, We're works in progress. We're growing. But even here in Colossians, back in chapter 1, verse 10, Paul, Paul recognizes this. What does he say? That believers are still learning to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's what he's praying for, that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In other words, you're not there yet. You're learning to walk in this. This is the already, but not yet. And this is the tension that we're living in and will continue to live in until we die. Our Christ returns, and we are glorified. So we are already forgiven in Jesus, but we are still learning to sin less. We are holy in Christ, but we are still learning to live like saints. And so that's important for us to understand because when we sin, when we sin against the Lord first and foremost, or when we hurt those we love because of our sin, we don't need to doubt our identity in Christ. We don't need to begin to question our salvation and wonder, are we really saved? No. We don't need to doubt if his spirit is really in us. Yes, it's there. Instead, we need to humble ourselves and repent and then remember what Jesus has done for us and remember who we are in him and where we are in him. Living in light of this truth, not only will it help us delight in the grace of God day to day to day, but, but it also allows us to get excited and rejoice in what we know is coming. As we think about the future, as we think about what's to come, we know that because we are in Christ, even though we still stumble in sin, we have a certain hope. We have a certain hope. We can be certain that one day, our our physical reality will match our spiritual reality. Because we will live in glorified bodies before the King forever. And there will be no more sin, no more sickness, no more death. And on that day, what happens Our Savior, our King, He presents us holy and blameless and above reproach. And so the Lord is slowly conforming us into the image of His Son. And and He promised, we've seen His Word. What does He promise? That He who began a good work in us, He will bring it to completion on the day He returns. And all of this is what? It's all of grace. It's all because of the kindness and grace of the Lord. It's all because of the reconciliation that we can have through Jesus' life. Death and resurrection. Now, this amazing salvation, right, we do see, it, it requires something. In this passage, there, there's a condition, if we can call it that way. And this leads to our last point today. What is this condition that we see? The condition, last point, it's perseverance. Perseverance. After reading about uh, believers' new spirituality in Christ, we see this in verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. If we are to be presented holy and blameless and above reproach, then, then we must persevere in the faith. And what's Paul referring to when he says the faith here? Well, he's referring to the gospel message, the message that that was preached to Epaphras, and then Epaphras eventually preached to the Colossians. It was the same gospel that was spreading rapidly through that region amongst all kinds of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's what I believe Paul's referring to when he says, you know, it has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. He's not saying that, you know, everyone's already saved, everyone's heard it. He's just saying this thing is spreading like wildfire. Later in chapter 4, verse 3, he asked for prayer for more opportunities to, to share the gospel. He's just speaking how, how we speak. He knew everyone hadn't heard it yet, but, but it was spreading. And they knew what message was being proclaimed. What was the message that was spreading? It was the gospel message. That's the message that they were hearing, that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus alone. Not by being a good person, not by trying to obey the Old Testament law. The Colossian church, they were encountering false teachers who were trying to to slip into the church that there's a new revelation, and there's there's these extra spiritual things that they have to do, and it was a false teaching. And and Paul, he's writing this letter in part to set the record straight and let them know, no. We are saved through Jesus, and that's it. It's all of grace. There's salvation in no one else. We are complete in him. Everything we need, all wisdom and knowledge, all of that, it's found in who? in him. That's it. That's the gospel we're commanded to leave, to believe his life, his death, his resurrection in our place. Now, I don't know Greek. I'm still learning. So scholars who know Greek, right, they say that, that this verse, this, this condition, it reads very positively. It, it wouldn't be wrong for it to be translated this way, It wouldn't have been wrong if our Bibles were to say, if indeed you continue in the faith, as I expect you will. It's very positive. And earlier in this chapter in verses 4 and 5, Paul already recognized that the Colossians were growing. They were growing in faith. They were growing in love. So he had every reason to believe that they were going to continue to grow in faith and grow in love, that they were going to persevere to the end. However, though this is written in a very positive sense, it still communicates a very real condition. Paul is echoing the words of Jesus. We've seen Matthew 10, verse 22. It's the one who endures to the end who will be saved. And so just to be crystal clear, if you're trusting in Christ alone for your salvation to save you, you will persevere to the end. Let's just be clear. You will persevere because Jesus himself will preserve you. He holds us fast, right? Those of us who come to faith in Christ, ultimately we do so because the Lord has predestined us. He has called us. And those whom he predestines and calls, he will justify. And those whom he justifies, he will glorify. So in other words, they will be saved because that salvation is completely of the Lord. And if your faith is in Christ, you will persevere. Salvation is completely of the Lord. He finishes where he starts. John 6, 38 through 40, just, just to really be clear, because I'm in another church. <laughs> what does Jesus say? For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So again, those of you who are trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation, you're not banking on the fact that you're a good person, that you're not the worst person. No, you know that your only hope is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in your place. If that is your hope, you will not be lost. You will be kept until the final day. Christ will lose not one person whom the Father gives him. Okay. Amen. That said, so what's Paul saying here? Because it's it's here, right? I believe what he's doing here is he's forcing believers to stop and imagine, stop and think through what would happen if we were to stop trusting in Christ alone for our salvation? What would happen if we were to stop believing the gospel? Think of it as a sign at the edge of a cliff. And and there's a steep cliff, and there's a sign there. And the sign says, stop and turn, or you will fall and die. Well, when we see that sign, what do we think? It's time to turn, (laughs) right? I'm not going for a run and see how far I can make it. No, I, I don't want to fall and die. I'm going to stop and turn. I have no reason to keep walking and fall to my death. I'm going to turn and be safe. So the sign is basically letting us know of a scenario that should not happen. It shouldn't happen. But if it were to happen, the consequences are real. When we're trusting in Christ alone, he will preserve us, and we can rest in the fact that he will sustain us and hold us fast to the end. But if, if anyone were to one day just choose to stop believing the gospel... If you were to stop believing that Jesus is the only one who can save you and instead you slowly begin to put your hope in something else or someone else and you keep walking towards that cliff of false teachings or idolatry or or, or sin or unbelief and you do not turn back, well, like anyone else who isn't trusting in Christ for their salvation, you are risking what? Dying in your sins and suffering the wrath of God. Now, this doesn't mean that the person who once professed faith and then, and then does this, that they lost their salvation. In that situation, I believe we're seeing what's described in 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. And so this condition... This, this if, right, it was to encourage the saints, I believe, to continue doing what they were already doing. They were growing in love. They were caring for one another. And, and so this should never happen. Let this encourage you to continue doing what you're doing. Keep loving the Lord. Keep serving the church. Keep sharing the gospel. And so, North Shore, I just want to stand here and tell you all, keep doing what you've been doing. Keep loving the Lord. Keep loving his word. Keep encouraging other churches like you've encouraged ours. We've been so encouraged by you guys in so many ways. And I know of countless ways you've encouraged other churches. Keep being faithful. Keep holding fast to the Lord, knowing that when we stumble, he will hold you, right? Keep doing what you're doing. May this move you and me to continue to cling to Jesus tightly. Every minute of every hour of every day. Why? Not out of fear of falling off the cliff of our faith. No, but because we understand our need for grace. We understand that we are prone to wander and that left to ourselves, we are prone to leave the God we love. And so may the Lord help us to never, even for a moment, think that we are okay without Jesus. All right? the gospel isn't just for the moment of conversion. The gospel is something we must preach to ourselves day in and day out. Instead, instead of preaching to ourselves out of fear. It's not out of fear. It's just out of a recognition of our need for grace. Let's rejoice in the good news of the gospel. As we preach it to ourselves, let's thank God and rejoice in what he has done for us. And let's ask the Lord to remind us daily that in Christ, even though we stumble, even though we sin and mess up, we are secure. Even though we are weak, he is mighty. And even though we know we sin, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And and, and personally, what last few weeks have have been hard for multiple reasons, and what's been so comforting to me about the gospel is that in Jesus, we truly can find rest. And so let us rest in our Lord. Let us rest in our Savior. What a rest and, and comfort in knowing things are hard, Lord, sometimes it's like I'm just crawling along, right? But the day will come where you will present me holy and blameless and above reproach. You, it's all on you. Thank you, Lord. I can rest in that. You, brother, you, sister, you can rest in that. Find joy in that now. And on the chance you're hearing me and you are not a Christian, your faith is not in Christ. I don't want to assume anything. I want to encourage you. Repent of your sins and trust in him today. Call on the Lord today to to forgive you and to save you in Jesus. Believe that he lived and died for your sins and that he suffered the wrath of God in your place. Believe that he conquered Satan's sin and death by rising from the grave. And if you believe that, know your future and your hope is certain in him as well. We love you guys. Thank you for the blessing of preaching this gospel and enjoying this gospel with you. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you one more time for your word. Lord, thank you for the love you've shown us through the cross of Christ. Lord, thank you that even though we were alienated and lost and dead in our sins, you've reconciled us to yourself through your son. And Father, as we we continue the rest of our day and our week, Lord, I, I pray that you would just... Let this really sink into our hearts, Lord, in those moments of of frustration, in those moments in which our sin is before us. Would you remind us of where we are standing? We're standing in your son. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the grace and forgiveness you show us in him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.